when I was running, I was, I mean, we just talked about how discipline is not really a thing, mm-hmm. but I was more disciplined. I slept better. I was listening. I, I always call it listening to your body, but really it's like I was doing things that helped me listen to my body. Because I think that sometimes you can't listen to your body when the cues are off, but when the cues are on, you can listen to your body great. And that's one of the most amazing feelings. Hey, what's up everybody? It's John here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. The voice you just heard was that of McKenna Miller, a professional runner for ASICS. From the moment McKenna hopped on the call with Brian and I, I could feel the positive energy flowing from her through the computer screen. It's quite amazing how infectious her energy is, even though she wasn't in the room physically sitting in front of us. But that's who McKenna Miller has become. And I say become on purpose because becoming is what our conversation with McKenna focuses on today. If you follow track and field closely, you may have heard her story through a viral video of her running a 525 mile while pregnant. It appeared on TikTok. What we're excited for runners and non-runners to discover about this rising star is that she's so much more than a viral video. In fact, she's a newly minted mom who has so much insight to share about how our decisions affect who we are becoming and why we should care about being intentional about the decisions that we make every day. It was such a great conversation with her that I couldn't help but tell her how excited I was to continue to follow her career as it gets underway. If you're looking for someone to show you how to embrace your journey as unique, meaningful, and full of worth, then look no further. This is the conversation you've been seeking. Now, before we get into this episode with McKenna, I do want to take a moment to introduce you, Ken, and this podcast to our newest listeners. UCAN is a go-to nutrition product of choice for so many elite athletes. But even UCAN knows that true success is about so much more than how you fuel your body. It's also about how you fuel your passions, your motivation, and your mindset. And that's why this podcast is gonna take you inside the minds of Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, and trainers to better understand what drives them, to constantly push to achieve new personal bests. We're super excited to have you guys on this journey with us today, and we hope we can give you a little more fuel as you work towards optimizing your own performances, both in sport and in life. Now, on to the episode with McKenna. All right, today's guest is McKenna Myler, a professional runner for ASICS who's put together an incredible 2021 that included personal bests at 5K, 10K, and the half marathon, as well as qualifying for the U.S. Olympic trials at 10,000 meters, where she finished 14th overall. And she's earned her first pro contract. She's perhaps best known, however, for a couple viral videos of her running while pregnant in which she ran a 525 mile 10 days before having her daughter, Kenny Lou. She's currently training for the New York City Marathon this November, and we're so happy to catch her in the middle of this training block. McKenna, thank you for being here. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Really happy to be here. I'm excited to chat with you guys. (laughs) McKenna, can you tell us a little about where you're at right now? So right now, we're doing some elevation training. We were in Highland, Utah, but now we've moved up to Park City for the next little bit and just trying to get more red blood cells, you know? That's that's right. (laughs) And what are you currently uh, preparing for Have you done much altitude training? Sorry, what did you say, Brian? (laughs) I said, have you done much altitude training? But John asked what particular training for, so let's go with those in order. (laughs) All right. So I have not done much altitude training. I'm from Southern California. 
And I did go to BYU. So that was a bit of a shock to my system uh, coming up to BYU. And especially because the first week was usually in Park City, actually where we're at right now. And it's fun doing these runs in a bit better shape than when I would show up in college because I would just get rocked by this elevation. We're at like 7,000 feet. And you just, yeah, (laughs) I I had a lot of runs where I died pretty hard from the front. (laughs) And then, sorry, John, what was your question? Yeah, I'm curious, like, what are you uh, currently preparing for? Oh, right. So I'm here for New York. I really want to get a good aerobic base for New York. I was hoping for a little bit longer preparation time, but New York uh, works. (laughs) So... We'll, we'll make it work. Awesome. And are you up there with the training group or are you kind of up there training on your own? I'm by myself. I'm always looking for people to run with uh, and to help me with workouts. Uh, but as of right now, I'm trying to recruit some boys to come, you know, pace me for some stuff. But right now I'm by myself. Although I have been working with a club called Rep, which is a run elite program. They're just still trying to recruit more women at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'll go run with their men down in Provo. Uh, But for right now, especially because I'm a little bit further away, I'm just by myself. (laughs) Well, is this uh, running the New York City Marathon? Was this always part of the plan for this year? Or is this something that's kind of come out of the fact that you're in great shape and you had this great half marathon a little while ago and you're just taking advantage of the fitness you have right now? Yeah, it was not part of the plan at all. (laughs) The first part of the plan was... I wanted to make the trials. That's kind of always been one of my goals ever since I graduated college because I overheard some of the men talking about the qualification times that it took to make the trials. I just like happened to be in the room and I was looking at the list of what it took and I was like, wait, I think I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and which I, I kind of honestly sounded crazy. My PR then was like 1611. And so at that time, the A standard for a 5K was 1525. But I had it in my head that I want to be able to compete with the best in the nation. And those are the times that apparently you have to run. So that's what I want to do. (laughs) So you overhear a conversation about what it takes to go to the Olympic trials. And that was a significant sort of trigger in your mind to, to pursue this as a goal? Well, okay, we need to go back like a bit in time here. So one of my friends growing up, her name was Catherine Vidmar, and she takes me over to her house. I think we're in eighth grade. And I see on her wall that there's these gold medals. I was like, what are those? And she's like, those, oh, those are my dad's. Like my dad was an Olympic gymnast. I was like, what are the Olympics? (laughs) I had no idea. I, I just lived in my own little bubble, you know? And my parents were very concentrated. I grew up in the middle of seven kids and you know, it was just always like one thing at a time, like what's in front of you. There was not, especially in my mind, like a whole lot of planning ahead. I mean, I'm sure there was for my parents, but (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, I, I see these gold medals and I was like, wait, like that's a thing. And I was so embarrassed internally that I wanted to compete at that level. I met someone physically, like who had been there, who had competed like as the best of the best, because that's what the Olympics supposedly are. And I was like, I want to do that. But I was so embarrassed because, you know, I was fast. Like, you know how they make you do the mile in middle school? Yep. I was the fastest girl, but then I transferred schools and this one girl beat me. So I was like, I'm not the fastest of the fast, but I'm like fast. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, so there was definitely a question there. And so from there, I think I started thinking more about what it meant to be a high level runner. And then high school came along, right? Um, and the cross country and track coach started talking to me about what it takes to be, you know, good as a high school runner. I had no idea what women in college were running. I, I remember my sister coming home from one of her recruiting trips and she was like, it was at UW. And she was like, this girl was doing mile repeats at 4.58. Like, that was one of her mile repeats. I was like, what? Wow. (laughs) Women do that, you know? Like, And so I think there was, like, stepping stones to seeing other women accomplish these higher feats, uh, so you could say, and being like, well, why not me? Like, why can't I be just as capable to do that? And so... I guess, yeah, to answer your question, that kind of led to this moment. Uh, and there, yeah, we'll talk about this more, <laughs> but there was a lot of other things going on in my life stopping me from reaching my potential. Um, but those were one of the stepping stones is then uh, talking to those men at BYU and, and seeing the Olympic trials times that you could get. <laughs> Would you mind, since you brought it up, it'd be great to know, like, what were some other challenges or things that were I guess, trying to stop you or discourage you from pursuing uh, your goal? Yeah. So I would put it kind of as my imperfect self. Mm. Um, I kind of had some indulgences that were happening and that started in high school. My coach asked me, so this might be a little long of a story, but he asked me to lose some weight. In, in high school. Mm-hmm. And, and he put it a little more delicately, but that was essentially what he was asking because I literally ate candy and sugar for meals. Like I had the biggest sweet <laughs> tooth and he was like, McKenna, you're fast, but like if you maybe ate a little more nutritiously, like you could be a bit faster. And so I really took that logically. I wasn't, I was with my mother, like we're pretty good about separating my worth from like my weight that mm-hmm. we can talk about that later. But I t- took that like to heart and I was like, I'm going to be the healthiest person ever. And what I thought was being healthy um, turned out to develop like some very bad habits. So uh, for me, I started to put the accountability of being healthy on other people. Mm. I started to be like, hey, can you take this away from me if I'm trying to eat this cookie or whatever. And, and that's kind of started this roller train, whatever you want to call yeah. it, like uh, layer on layer of other people taking food away from me, which, you know, was, was taking away from my accountability. Mm. And then when other people weren't there that I had designated this accountability, I would binge eat like a ton of food. Uh, mm. So I was developing this really unhealthy relationship with food where I was really good about being really strict. And then as soon as those parameters left, that time frame that I set for myself, I was like all in sugar and yeah. <laughs> anything I could get my hands on. McKenna, did yeah. you know you were doing this at the time? Or were you really aware that this was a problem that, and it was affecting you? Or you were kind of oblivious to it? Um, no, I think I was kind of aware. I really thought I was being healthy. Like I thought you know, okay, fats are bad for you. And, you know, it was just like the science at the time. And my mom was like trying to help me because she knew that I cared a lot about running. And, and it just 
wasn't, <laughs> uh, I don't think she realized what was happening. That's for sure. She had no idea. Like she thought, you know, this was for the love of running. And I ended up dropping weight for that cross country season and I did really well. But then the track season rolled around and I was up like 10, 15 pounds. Mm. Um, mm. And I barely broke five minutes in the mile, like out of sheer will. <laughs> So like, uh, make sure that I, you know, got a scholarship for college. And so anyway, I was aware to a certain extent, noticing that my weight was fluctuating so much, but I just didn't know how to help it. And then comes along college and I still had to work on these habits. And it was going back and forth between getting better and not being as restrictive and then bending not quite as much, but then doing it again. And, And so year after year, that kind of added up. So I was really inconsistent. I started having, sorry, I'm going off on tangents from your question, but I would have really good races and then I would have really bad seasons because I just didn't know how to handle my relationship with food. No, and that's, sorry, go no, ahead, that's, no, you're not, I, I, I'm following it. I think we all are. I think the thing that, that's really yeah. important is highlighting the fact that that's a challenge for everybody in some way, shape or form. Right. And I think it's hard to talk about it though. So I commend you for being able to actually talk about it in a way that's really relatable because everybody struggles in some way with diet and choosing the right things, not binging those types of things. But uh, the thing that's really interesting to me is understanding how did you work through it? Because that's really what people struggle with the most is finding out how do I overcome this? Because It seems like you have, and it's really amazing (laughs) that you're able to actually identify what tools or outside help were you able to employ to help you with working through this? Because that's a very big challenge, and I know it impacts athletic performance. So figuring it out, it's a a key, you know, to your success. Yeah. Well, and you're right, John. Like, the more I've communicated with other people, I feel like 90%, that might even be low, Mm. Like of people have some sort of unhealthy relationship with food yeah. and how, you know, they like assign morality to what they're 100%. eating, <laughs> which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I would say there was two things that started happening. One, I, I think your environment is a huge deal. You have like certain triggers and, and this is not even just with food, like any bad habit you have, there are triggers that happen, like the same grocery store you go to. Or for me, one of my triggers was going and visiting home and being with my mom, which was like a great thing. But we're all like, let's all go get ice cream. And I was like, give me the largest size and I'll finish off everybody else's. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so, which is hard because that is like a a bonding experience. I didn't want to get rid of that. Um, and so it was having to like switch around some of those things and communicate to my mom that I want to have bonding experience with you, but it needs to be outside of food. Like let's, let's pick a different activity. It can't be this awesome um, ice cream. Or, you know, let's pick different food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and treats are still a very big part of my, my family. Uh, but you know, it was just changing those triggers little by little. Yeah, like another thing is like certain grocery stores, like I knew the treats that I wanted to get when I would go into that grocery store. Yeah. (laughs) And and then just like my own home, like filling my life more with things that I wanted and knew 
like I knew that made me feel good rather than uh, having this mindset where I was constantly trying to avoid what I didn't want. Right. Or mm-hmm. uh, trying to use like all this willpower when it, in fact I didn't need to use willpower. I just needed to change my environment. Brian um, can speak to this really well, deal. actually. Oh, oh, oh my I God. Like you yeah. just basically s- summarized the chapter of my book, which is basically the, the, <laughs> really? the yeah. Yeah, well, I call it the discipline illusion. And it's this idea that like everybody who's really disciplined has a ton of willpower. And the reality is usually they've prioritized a certain thing and they've made a decision not to allow something into their environment. And once you've kept it out of your environment, it's really easy to just not partake in it, right? So if it's candy, it's just keeping it out of your house. If candy's in your house, you're going to eat it. If it's not in your house, you don't eat it. Like it's one of those things, right? And, And making these rules for themselves. And what ends up happening, and this is my take on this, is that you can see people who are extremely disciplined and from the outside, you see them and you say, I don't understand how they can live like that. That must be exhausting. But in reality, they're like, oh my God, my life is so much easier now that I've just like, now that I've gotten rid of all these difficult decisions, right? So um, it's, it's sort of, it has this reverse thing. Like if you're not disciplined, it looks exhausting. And if you are disciplined, you realize that actually life is a lot easier, right? So I don't know if you had that experience too, or once you started to cut it out, other things became easier. Everything else became a little bit more streamlined for you. Oh, you're nailing it on the head completely. Mm. It's so ridiculous. My mom would always say to me, you're so disciplined. I'm like trying to communicate to her. I'm like, mom, I'm not disciplined. Like I actually (laughs) am not like anything special by any means. Um, Yeah. Where do you feel like that happened in your life, Brian? Do you feel like you were able to switch a trigger like that? Um, A lot of this came from, I took some courses in educational psychology and about learning and about habit forming and things like this that affect your school work, right? So the the idea of the classes was, this class is going to help you be a better student. And I was in university and I I literally took all of those classes and I just applied them to my running (laughs) because I was way more focused on my running than my school (laughs) work. And so... um, But I, I made certain decisions. Like I was going out with the guys. I'm not a big drinker, but we would still, I would go mm-hmm. out because that's what we did. We went out socially and I wouldn't even necessarily drink, but I would just be out really late, let's mm-hmm. say, right? I mean, mm-hmm. come back at one in the morning or something like that. And I just did certain things. I said, you know what? I'm going to cut all these things out. These are all distractions from my main thing. I'm going to stop buying this stuff and having it in the fridge. I started to try it. And I just realized at that point it was easy. And the, the bonus for me was shortly thereafter, I started to see big improvements in my running. And so I immediately made the connection between you know, getting more rest, eating a little more healthy, doing my sit-ups. So one of the things I did, which I had never done before, was I tied the idea of sit-ups and push-ups and core work and stuff like that to my runs. Yeah. So no matter how, mm-hmm. if I did two runs a day, I did two sets of sit-ups and push-ups a day. Oh, if I did, so it was like- It was a trigger. Yeah. It was, it was totally a, trigger. a trigger. The, the yeah. end of the run was the trigger to start the other thing that if I didn't do it then, I would probably just not do it because I'd watch TV and I would just, you know, like whatever. Yeah. And so yeah. everything you said, I started to- analyze the triggers right. and try to create better habits. And yeah. yeah. I, yeah. What were you going to say, John? I was going to say, that, oh, I think that's a good question that you asked Brian, because he had a lot of stuff that I noticed that when he made these changes in college, mm-hmm. near the latter part of his collegiate career, he was doing stuff in, in races that I'm like, he wasn't doing before. And then the new habits, habits he developed. And a lot of it was just making different choices. And I, I think mm-hmm. that that's a big part of it is just, not necessarily cutting something out, but saying, instead of that, I'm going to choose this. Because yeah. I agree with you. I think it's really hard to, and I'm going to kind of put myself out there a little bit. It's really embarrassing. And this is actually dates back to college. I think Brian might remember this. I have a hard time saying no to gummy bears. 
I can't. Yeah. I and it's not. It's really bad. That's great. Like I have a really. Oh, no. It's a really bad habit. It's almost like a problem. Yeah. I, I, if I go to the store, I know I'm going to buy gummy bears, and this is probably like the worst thing that I do diet wise. It really is, you mm-hmm. know. But I mm-hmm. eat them all the time, and my kids they love to make fun of me about this. You know, it's the <laughs> running joke in my family, but. I'm like, well, the thing that I know for sure is that if I choose make a different decision with a lot of stuff, like I cut out dairy, I knew it was tied to inflammation. I cut out certain things. It's really about just choices. And I choose it because it makes me feel good. It's a reward. I only get to have it when I've earned it kind of a thing. But I feel like it's really the big thing is the choices. If you choose choosing one thing, try to find a way to tie to something else, but make a different choice that's tied to something that almost forces you to make a different decision that will inevitably lead to you not choosing that other thing anyway, because it's just not fitting into your routine, you know, because discipline right. itself, yeah. just saying no, I don't know if that's actually possible to be honest yeah. with you. I think it's yeah. really hard to always say no without a replacement, without yeah. the right environment uh, being created for yourself. Oh, I'm all about replacements. Yeah. 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 Replacements are such a big deal. Right. But it, what you're saying actually uh, it kind of reminds me too of, it's not like these are revolutionary concepts. I always relate it to this when I'm like, everybody knows it's bad to lie. Right. Yeah. But do we always apply that? Like, no, <laughs> like the application is so different. And once you apply the basics and watch that process work, you're like, trying to preach to everybody. Do you understand? If you change your environment, they're like, okay, we know. (laughs) But you're like, but you have to apply it. And you get so excited about it. It's just, it's, yeah, it's hard to convey that to people. Um, Just, that just kind of remind me from what you're talking about. It is. You kind of have to learn it for yourself, but you have to experience it in some way. And once you've experienced it in one way, sometimes I find it's really easy to apply the same concept to something else. But it's a little bit hard if somebody's just like, hey, you should get more sleep. It's going to change everything for you or something, right? And (laughs) you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." And then you actually do it for a week and you realize, wow, actually, this does make a big difference for me. But everybody needs to be doing this. (laughs) Yeah, I've been been hearing this for for years, you know. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... So I want to come back a little bit because we're in the middle of this transformation you had. So you're at college, you're a good runner, but not one of the best runners in college. And you're struggling with some of these things and you're working through them. Is there Mm -hmm. a point where suddenly you kind of had had it solved? I mean, you might not even feel like you have it solved today. I'm not sure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm definitely on a, a, a a much different person, thankfully. But so a part of that actually was when I was in college, I was asking for so much help. I really was trying to be like, can someone please help me lose weight, basically, because I knew that I had this really good, uh, we'll call the strength to weight ratio. And mm-hmm. I, I realized that from weightlifting, because we had a really good weightlifting program. And I was throwing around some weights that I was like, wait, I'm throwing around way heavier weights than some of these girls who are a lot faster than me. And so I was like, I mean, obviously, there's not a direct correlation, but there's a correlation here mm-hmm. that like I could potentially be a lot faster than I am right now. Right. And, you know, a lot of people were so nervous around the subject. They were so nervous that I was going to have anorexia or that mm-hmm. I'd have the female triad that nobody, and maybe part of it too was they didn't know how to help me. And like, they want to stay away from those conversations and were so scared that I was associating this with my worth. And, and to me, the, honestly, this is uh, something I love to talk to other women about because 
I feel like strength to weight ratio is a real thing. And we can talk about that, but everyone has a different strength to weight ratio. And your weight does not have to be associated with your worth, which I think too often our looks and our thinness, yeah, is associated with women. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that was a, a part of the journey there where I was asking for help and just not really getting any help. And so I was really having to figure it out on my own. And it wasn't until actually my now husband, Mike, um, <clears throat> I shared a lot of my journey with him. And, and this is kind of the second part I was going to tell you about earlier, uh, being honest with my reality. So often, I think that we have a lot of justifications that happen. And this guy goes back. Um, and I was justifying a lot of things mm-hmm. where, you know, like I just had this, I, I, I would think that I was trying super hard. I would think that I was eating super healthy. When I actually look back at it, like I wasn't. Um, or, you know, I really wasn't getting as much sleep as I thought I was getting. And so owning up to my reality and owning up to the paces I was actually running and being like, okay, I'm not this 1530 5k runner. I'm really like still 1610. I need to be honest with my workouts here in this reality that things started changing and started progressing. That's powerful. (laughs) It's it's another one of those key things, right? Like who you are right now is not who you could be in the future. But if if you're trying to be somebody different, you've got to take your steps to get there, right? You got to embrace where you're at and and build. John and I have been having this conversation about the distance between, you know, in high school, like, you know, there's kids who are super fast and then there's these other kids who mm-hmm. want to be that fast, but they're behind in the sense of mm-hmm. years of training, right? Like it takes your time. You got to acknowledge where you're at and build from where you are instead of getting caught up trying to be competitive with someone who's at a different point yeah. already in their career, even if you're right. that young, right? I'm really fascinated by this. So you graduate from college. You're a 16, yeah. 10, 5K runner. You're, mm-hmm. you're not an elite runner. You're not sponsored by anyone. What's your motivation at this point in terms of training? Like, why did you stick with it and keep training? And, yeah. and what motivated you at that time? Uh, so, so I guess you could say um, I really enjoyed the process. I really liked... Uh, who I was as a runner, like when I was running. So when I was running, I was, I mean, we just talked about how discipline is not really a thing, Mm -hmm. but I was more disciplined. I slept better. I was listening. I I always call it listening to your body, but really it's like I was doing things that helped me listen to my body. Because I think that sometimes you can't listen to your body when the cues are off. Um, Mm -hmm. But when the cues are on, you can listen to your body great. And that's one of the most amazing feelings. And I loved being in tune with my body. I liked who I was and I liked who I was meeting. I, I really enjoyed the connections I was making from club running and, and I really liked pushing myself. I've always kind of been into doing extreme things and <laughs> I really like this avenue um, of running. And, and so I kept at it and I started just trying to surround myself with uh, people who were better than me mm-hmm. all the time. And I think that kind of kept my sight like right above where I was. And yeah, that kept the momentum going of wanting to be better and better. <laughs> and were you specifically pursuing the Olympic trials or specifically pursuing a particular time, at, a, a goal at this point? Or was it really just about like uh, running was part of your lifestyle and you like to do it competitively? Oh, no, I for sure had it in my mind that I wanted to break 16 minutes. I was like, I just want to break 16 minutes. I want to be a 15 minute 5k girl. I, you know, it had been quite a while, I guess. And so I was like, you know what, maybe it's just not in the cards for me to be 
at the Olympic trial standard, you know, for the 5K. And the 10K standard was double my PR. So you, mm-hmm. you can imagine, I was very aware of how crazy I sounded. Um, but, and not even sounded because I wouldn't really voice it to people. I like, kept it inside. Uh, but I like, didn't want to tell people because I was like, wow, I sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to run the 10K standard and I haven't even ran that like in the 5K. Uh, well, basically, it was just double my 5K. Uh, and, and so, yeah, anyway... <laughs> um, what were you going to say? I was going to ask, well, you know, that comes down to belief, even if it's not choosing to tell people about it. Like Brian could, I mean, guys have stories that they could share for days. I was the crazy <laughs> freshman that came in and I'm like, I want to be the best in the world. And the guy's like, you're yeah. not even the best on this team. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I had no problem. I, I had no problem telling people this. And it was, yeah, I, I, they knew and they could tell it was absolutely nothing to do with ego. I wasn't saying it because I thought mm-hmm. I was great. I was saying it because I, I wanted to share my dreams with people. I've always wanted to empower mm-hmm. people to believe in themselves. That's where that came from. But and it's that. because I believed in myself, you know, and even if I was wrong, I was willing to die with that. The truth of finding out whether or not I was good enough, but I was not willing to die yeah. with not knowing. So I, I, I had to go for it. And I'm like, join me on this journey. So my telling people was like yeah. an invitation to find out how great we can all be. Okay. Wait, I have to comment on oh, that. Oh, sure. Uh, that was also a huge revelation Okay, was like thinking about this community of runners and how you cannot be fast without people faster than you basically, or, you know, like you, and you can't reach the level you want to reach without surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. And, and, and you just said that, you know, you're like, I want us all to rise. And even if that person that's faster than you ends up still being faster than you, you ended up running faster because yeah. you both ran faster. Like, that, yeah, like the outcome is still just always better. Um, I love that. Even if you're... St- I love that. Yeah. That is so well said. And I think that seeking that out in your competitors, seeing them as allies in your success is I think what totally. we had a previous conversation with Katie Safaris, a uh, U.S. Olympic triathlete who medaled just recently at the, the Games oh, for the so U.S. Cool. And she said that or something along those lines in, in our conversation mm-hmm. with her and I think both Brian and I were just like, that's amazing that she started seeing her competitors and peers that way. And she said it actually Mm -hmm. enhanced her ability to perform at a greater level and it reduced the stress that she felt going into races. So yeah, there's, there's like this positive energy. (laughs) It's all synergy. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, I wanted to ask you along these lines about belief in yourself, because maybe you weren't telling other people, but I mean, you did some special stuff this past year, and I, I, I want to dive into this with Brian, the viral video, running 525 or so while pregnant, and then pursuing the Olympic trials qualifier, and then competing at the Olympic trials. I mean, in that window, can you talk a little bit about that whole experience? Because you didn't tell people, but you believed enough in yourself to do some <laughs> absolutely phenomenal things. Hey, well, okay. So but let's start back to my husband and I moved to Australia okay. in 2019. And uh, I started working out with the Melbourne Track Club. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. His name is Nick Bedeau. He's the head coach mm-hmm. there. And so I was chatting with him. I was like, I, can I meet with you? Like, I really just want to talk to you about what my goals are and what I want to be. And so I asked him, I was like, I really, I just want to make the Olympic trials. And he looked at me and he's a really cut and dry kind of guy. He's like, I'm not saying it's impossible, but 
it's going to be really hard for you to make the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. So that was in, you know, January 2020. And I was having the best workouts of my life running with them. I was so excited about the track season. And then the double lines showed up. And I was like, oh, man, like, I just want I'm so excited to start a family, but I have just always wanted to compete in the Olympic trials. This has been one of my bucket list things. And, you know, th- I guess this is not in the cards for me this year. And then the pandemic happened. And so me and my husband were kind of like, wait, so maybe there's still an option. I could potentially still try and go for the Olympic trials. And also, like, I have to talk about my husband. He's always believed in me, taking what I've said very seriously, where if I said I want to go Olympic trials, he's like, okay, like, how are we going to make this happen? Love- he's so, so good at supporting me. So that was kind of still in our minds. And so I just started doing a ton of research on, you know, you you guys mentioned already, like Kara Goucher, yeah. Paula Radcliffe, yeah. and they all had kind of ran through their pregnancies and, you know, competed and had personal bests, like very shortly, you know, seven, eight months after they gave birth. So I kind of like had that belief, like you said, in the back of my mind. Um, but belief is, it just leads to action, right? Mm. Like the belief itself isn't going to do anything, but action is everything. Mm-hmm. And so having that belief that I could do this and that, um, you know, maybe it was a possibility if everything was healthy. And luckily for me, that ended up being the case. I had a very great pregnancy and a, a really good birth where I was able to heal really quickly, which I totally had in my mind that I was like, if I could never run again, like, that might happen. Like maybe the doctor might accidentally cut something and, you know, paralyze me. I don't know. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's just, we always play worst case scenario, you know. Yeah. So like, what if you don't make it to the trials? You're right. Like, so what? Life goes on. Um, and so we try. Uh, that's kind of been something in our marriage. So anyway, that belief that, continued on through the pregnancy. I love yeah. that too. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is, uh, for me, I'm very familiar with that. I'm sorry, Brian. I just have to just say something about that really quickly because that's hard to do. It's hard to accept the reality. Kind of like what you said, being honest with our reality. That's a very powerful mindset or mentality to have, or at least a, a, something to identify to embrace as a mindset because when you want something really, really bad to accept the reality Mm -hmm. that it might not work out just as much as believing that it could, we honestly don't Mm -hmm. even think about the other side sometimes. And I think it's not dwelling on it, but being able to acknowledge the possibility of it not working out, that's actually, I think, Mm -hmm. freeing. I don't know if you want to speak to that or not, but I think it honestly sets you free to really go for it because you're like, either way, I got to try. So it is what's going to be, but I'm still going to go for it and I'll be cool with whatever happens. You know, I'll be able to work through that. Uh, Is that kind of how you were thinking? So that's funny. That's funny how you bring that up because that mindset really started to play in when I was pregnant. Ah. So when I would start a workout or a run, and I was so nervous. These times are going to be so slow (laughs) (laughs) that it was very freeing to kind of let that expectation like, so what if you don't hit like a 530 mile and you start out at a 630 mile? So what? Like the effort is still there mm-hmm. and you still move forward. Um, and, and like you said, you don't dwell on because that's bad, right? If you what's the saying when you uh, play to not lose or play to win, you know, the difference between yes. those that, that yeah. definitely is detrimental. You don't want to fall into that. But you do, like you said, it, there's letting go of expectations. That was a huge 
part of something I learned when I was running while pregnant. Yeah. I wanted to, you mentioned this earlier in the interview and you mentioned it in another interview and it was this idea of listening to your body. And I feel like there's a connection between what John and you guys are talking about now. It's this mm-hmm. idea of having the perspective. There's a bigger picture thing of having the perspective of do what you can. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. You know, we, we've got right. this perspective here. But then in the beginning of the run, you've mentioned this idea of just listening to your body and allowing your body to dictate what you're going to be able to do that day, oh. right? And mm-hmm. it sounds like that's something that you really learned throughout your training while you were pregnant. Yeah. But anyway, can you speak to to how that, how you came to identify that as such a, such a core message, such, such a core a- aspect of your training? Yeah. Well, okay. First though, I would not give that advice uh, to a high schooler. Mm. Uh, let's say who is first like starting to run. I mean, to a certain extent, they for sure should be listening to that advice. But you need to first experience what it means to not listen to your body, to push and to push and to learn what it means to actually work hard. And I feel like by the time I got pregnant, I understood those modes. I understood the mode of when I was like really pushing it or maybe even overdoing it. I understood what it meant to go easy, what a tempo effort felt like in high school. If you asked me to do a tempo effort, I would go out at like mile pace and die to a, you know, (laughs) regular run pace because I didn't understand how to gauge those efforts. And so in high school, you're still learning to listen to your body. And especially as a woman, your body's changing. (laughs) And so different parts of the month are going to be different because your hormone cycle is changing every month. And so... I would say first to like learn how to not listen to your body to a certain extent, right? And that's part of running too. When you race, it's like, listen, listen, listen. And then race time comes, don't listen to anything yeah. your body's saying, like <laughs> just go as hard as you can. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of mentioned earlier, there's also a part of listening that happens because you're feeding your body the correct cues Mm. because you are feeding your body eight hours of sleep because you are feeding enough carbs and like enough fat and protein in your diet that you can listen to your body because if you're just eating donuts your cues are going to be off you're going to think you're starving because you're trying to get enough protein from nothing and those cues are going to be off And, and so anyway sorry going back to the pregnancy listening to my body was coming off of learning from all of that mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. learning uh, like that, my body is going to be different at different times of the month with hormones. Learning that maybe I didn't get as much sleep last night, so the effort's going to feel like a little bit different today, and uh, that all played a role into learning how to listen to to those cues. <laughs> I I I love this. You're the second, third, fourth person who's talked about this idea of the signals that you're receiving and the, and the cues that you have and how that triggers. You know, we talked about, Carrie Tolleston talked about this, Sonia Richards-Ross, yeah. we talked with, she talked about it a little bit differently in the sense of you can get totally mixed signals in a race because right. of adrenaline and because of because totally. of other, other things that sort of are interfering with your ability to actually understand what you're doing. And that leads you to do something like go out too hard, right? And, and, <laughs> and ruin the end of your race because you went out too mm-hmm. hard. But you're the first person who's tied it to the basics of like your nutrition or your sleep as contributing to the quality of those signals in the first place. And I think that's really, really important. And I don't even know that I had ever really fully made that connection. And so I'm just really pointing it out right now because it stands out to me that like the basics are, are so important, not just because you got to get them right to even have a foundation to build on, but they literally mm-hmm. affect just 
all these other little aspects of your training, your perception of what you're doing yeah. and everything, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for tying that together. Sometimes. Yeah, he's good yeah. at that. He's good at that. <laughs> yeah, he's good at that. We're kind of getting a little bit close to um, the end of our time here with you, McKenna. And I got to tell you, my gosh, I, I, you're amazing. This is such a fun conversation. Um, <laughs> but speaking of conversations, so you said something earlier, and I feel like you're kind of tying it a little bit more so now, or building on it, I should say, in the power of having conversations um, and what that leads to as far as dispelling myths. This is a conversation where we're dispelling some myths. And I feel like even when you were talking about your college experience and you were referencing the, the weight training and the conversation or, or lack thereof or the fear of having conversations around being a girl, being a young woman, weight mm-hmm. and and addressing mm-hmm. that. And I think that's really where a lot of opportunity is missed. I think the, the key mm-hmm. thing I wanted to take away here is that fact is getting to talk with you and talking about even what you're doing. And hopefully we can c- close with this near the end is have you highlight women empowerment and your example of running in that viral video running while pregnant, that 525 mile. Um, I feel like if we don't do things like that, if we don't have a conversations that we don't dispel the myths and then we, we make decisions that mislead us and take us down paths that are, that are honestly taking us away from our potential. So I think that's really one of the cool things that I'm getting from talking with you today is we need more conversations to better understand yeah. things that we are honestly misunderstanding. Yeah, I, I love that. So, and, and gosh, women just like astound me, like being pregnant, that when people ask like what I learned being pregnant, yeah. I was like, I literally just have more respect for women. Like, mm. like people go through this all the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is, yeah, I, I didn't realize the reality of what was going on. And I felt so empowered. I can't tell you how many times um, when I was running, I would think about women who are doing this by themselves or women mm. who, you know, are in a hard like family situation or uh, women, honestly, like at the root of it, and how I felt like this journey that I've told you guys is women who feel like like they have not been good enough and that what they're doing, this is, <laughs> okay, sorry, I get emotional about Aww. this, but like they're trying so hard and they just don't understand how to make the connection from A to B. Mm. And the effort is there. They just aren't feeling like they're good enough, aren't feeling like their efforts are showing the outcomes that that they want. And I always felt so empowered by that because... I wanted to show women that it can be done, that you can start and not understand and feel like maybe your worth is not quite where, uh, or you don't understand that you do have worth, right. I guess is what I'm saying. Yep. Uh, and then and then figuring it out and empowering yourself and that like you can do things and, and that your body is so physically capable. It's just understanding it and, and learning how to... Again, like it just comes back to the basics of application. Yeah. And yeah. So anyway, I just, yeah, I loved what you were saying about the empowerment of, of women. It's a cool thing going on right now and the conversations are happening. And you just said it and I love it. You said that it's showing each other and showing us all really that by running while pregnant and doing what you did, you're just showing what's what your body's capable of that's what you're saying like you're just you're like you don't know but now you know and and so don't (laughs) fool yourself into thinking that you're not capable or that your worth isn't as high as it really should be and so Mm -hmm. i think that your example is what's so 
exciting and powerful and inspiring and, and informative is that you're like, yes, you actually can do that. Your body is capable of doing that and you're not alone, and I, you know. I will say too, though, that I do not expect women to see me and be like, I need to compete at this elite level now mm. that I'm a pregnant woman. <laughs> and show the world. Like, that's, that's not what I'm trying to commit at all. What I'm trying to convey to women is to look within their efforts and what do their efforts reveal with just like their kids and showing up with their kids. And really it's, yeah, like I just said, it's showing up and trying. That is the big deal. And I hope that women who see me just want to show up more and want to try more because that is the fulfillment in life. That is the meaning in life is like when we try and when we connect and like that, yeah, <laughs> I'm losing it. Uh, but yeah, I, I just hope that women feel uh, more empowered in their you know, McKenna, efforts. From the beginning, one of the reasons I was excited to speak with you is that your journey is different from the typical journey that somebody sees when they look at a pro athlete or something, right? You have achieved this status and this ability, this level, but it's taken a different path, a path of learning. Obviously, I didn't know how, I didn't know anything about how it came about with the eating troubles. Right. And I knew a little bit about reading about your pregnancy and, and, and some of what you learned in that. But the reality is that everybody has a different journey. It takes a little bit different yeah. time. You may have to work through stuff. I literally, I call this your hidden training program. I've never made the connection to something like eating in this way. Like the hidden training yeah. program is sort of like I define it as everything you really need to do to be successful. And yeah. for one person who's in a great environment with no major issues, that hidden training program is pretty minimal. It's pretty, pretty clear. Right. And for other people, you may have to deal with, you know, a, this, this, a trouble with eating, or you may have to deal with family relationship stuff, or you may have to deal with financial issues, mm -hmm. or you may have to deal with whatever it is that's sort of an obstacle to holding yeah. you back. But the thing that I love about what your process and what stands out to me is that if you stick with it and if you care enough and if you keep doing the basics and you keep building on that, mm -hmm. it, it can happen. It might take a few more years than mm -hmm. some of the, someone you're competing against in high school or college, but it can happen. And I'm so excited for you. Like the, the fact that right now you've earned your pro contract, you're going to run the New York City Marathon. I do want to ask you about this because mm -hmm. you're in the middle of it. I mean, how do you feel now as a runner, when you, as a competitive runner, how do you feel about yourself that's different from maybe how you felt? four years ago or some, some time frame in the before pregnancy and before, you know, yeah. when you're still trying to figure it all out. Well, so, and, and this kind of speaks to it, just what you were saying too, uh, about like that it can happen. Um, you know, and it, it doesn't always happen for people. And so what I would tell people to focus more on is not necessarily the outcome because these outcomes have been, I've been so fortunate and I'm so grateful for these outcomes. I'm so grateful to be signed with ASICs and I love like the life that I'm living with these outcomes that are happening, but more so it's who I'm becoming. And it's, I want people to ask that, that question to themselves. Like, who are you becoming from the decisions you're making? So what if you're not like a professional athlete? Or so what if, you know, you never broke this certain time and that haunts you? It's like, the, those things just don't, in the end, like, don't really matter. What really matters is who we are and how we're affecting the people right around us, right? And that's what I would say has changed for me, is I honestly, I, I still care about these outcomes. I still want to be a better version of myself. And I have lofty goals still as a professional runner. I, mean, I, I really want to make like more of a statement now. But 
in the end, I know my worth and I know who I'm becoming. I love who I'm becoming. Um, and that to me is all worth it because I'm becoming a person that I want to be. So good. I, I love it. it. Oh my I, gosh. You know, <laughs> so nice. You're making me feel so <laughs> No, I, I vibe can, off um, of these inspirational things and, and when people are <laughs> honest, you're being very, very authentic. So it's fun to be, I love these types of conversations. I love what we do. So this is really cool. Cool. McKenna, we're going to wrap it up here and just, we want to wish you the best of luck in New York City Marathon with your continued training yeah. with Kenny Lou and your husband and your growing family. And we'll be cheering for you. We, we love what you're doing and we wish you the best. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. You guys definitely are <laughs> good at asking questions. Yeah, no, <laughs> we, we can't, talk so can't wait to cheer for you at New York. <laughs> Have so much fun. Enjoy <laughs> this experience. It's going to be great. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Of course. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. For both athletes and active people, controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Thankfully, UCAN has developed a patented ingredient to deliver long-lasting energy while stabilizing blood sugar levels. So to properly fuel your pursuit with both the right nutrition and with the right food for thought, make sure to visit UCAN.co forward slash podcast to subscribe to our podcast to see our current lineup of upcoming guests, and of course, to learn more about UCAN's amazing products. And please continue to listen to our bonus conversation with McKenna about how she uses UCAN to optimize her training and competition results. All right, McKenna, we've been speaking with you about your journey, about everything you've done um, to get to where you are today. But we wanted to take a moment to ask you a couple questions about UCAN. You've been, uh, well, you're one of their newest athletes. And you've been using UCAN for at least a little while. I'd like you to tell me a little bit about your experience using UCAN and what it's done for you, either in your training or in your racing. So, so far with UCAN, it, it's funny. It kind of tricks my mind a little bit because I've been doing this for so long. My mind kind of understands like when I'm going to start running out of energy. Uh, and so on these long runs that I've been doing and then using the UCAN energy, I, it's been so, it's, it's weird. I'm like, wait, where is this energy coming from? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, like I'm still going at the same, like not feeling that like death grip or like the, the muscles, like really getting some tension. Uh, I had like a super good long run actually. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I did this 22 miler uh, and I averaged like 611 pace. And at the beginning of the the run, I started going like 610 and I was like, wait, this is too early. Like, I don't feel this good yet. Like, hold up. And, uh, but I kind of just kept going with it and it was just great. My legs just kept giving and giving and like, and I ended the, um, the long run at like 540 and then dropped to 515 pace for the last six miles. And that was just like, Oh, like, where did that energy, like the sustainability and the consistency of the energy is just wild to me. Um, so I, I really do appreciate you can, uh, with, with the energy that they have. I wasn't, uh, quite a fan of some of their beginning products actually, because it kind of like upset my stomach with the fake sugars. Uh, but they've been switching the fake sugars uh, over to like monk fruit and allulose. Um, and that actually has helped a ton. And that's the other thing that's been crazy is I, I, I like, don't even realize it. And then afterwards, I'm like, wait, I had no stomach issues on that run. Or like, you know, afterwards, my stomach's not cramping after these long 
races. And, and that's kind of been blowing my mind. I'm like, where's, why, where has this nutrition been hiding? Like, why does not, like, why doesn't everybody know? About this? <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I, I've had a really good experience with you, Ken. How did That's you get fantastic. introduced to it? I, I don't know if I, I caught that part. Oh, uh, so actually, the first time I got introduced to it was I was coaching a high school athlete, and she had a packet, and she let me have some, and I didn't notice anything because I, I didn't even know what it was for. Um, I just thought, you know, I had a good run, whatever. Like, it was just another <laughs> energy product. Uh, and so after I signed with ASICS, my agent reached out to me and was like, hey, are you interested um, and maybe pursuing something with UCAN, like they could send you some stuff to try out. And so so they sent me some stuff. And um, Katie, she's one of the people that works for UCAN. And she reached out to me. We had like a really good conversation. She explained things very in depth, like with how the product worked. Um, I feel like I have a really good knowledge now. Uh, and and it kind of went from there. And that's how I got introduced. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, if, yeah. Would you have any advice, or, or I guess I should say more, what advice would you give to a, an athlete who is maybe considering adding UCAN into their training regimen? Oh, yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's kind of like tricky at first because you're like, wait, this is all I need? Because you're used to <laughs> having like so much more. Uh, like I'm like, I thought I had to pack way more snacks. Um, and, and so it's a little tricky at first, like adding it in. Uh, so I would would test it out, I guess, is the advice I would give um, and like have a little faith in it and, and then see what happens. And it works. <laughs> Do you find that it, it, you use it primarily uh, for your long runs or is it something that you've found ways to integrate sort of into everyday training, like everyday life in any way? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I think I use it every day. Oh yeah, <laughs> like shoot. Wait, I need to eat real food too. <laughs> I can't just eat you can't stop. <laughs> um, because I mean, especially with marathon training, it is I am doing like it feels like I'm doing a long run every day. Um, but I still do use it uh, even as uh, a like afternoon hunger curb curber is that a word <laughs> it is now uh, it is now yeah. <laughs> and and it works it's just crazy I, it's just the stability and then also after that stability i just make better choices after mm. um like we had talked about earlier in the podcast like setting yep. up your system like and and it helps me make better choices and so it just keeps adding keeps giving it's the gift that keeps giving <laughs> I love it. Um, well, my last question for you, McKenna, is do you have a favorite product uh, with either yeah. flavor or, or, you know, they make a, a range of things. So what do you have a favorite? Yeah, they're chocolate almond butter bars. Like, gosh, I'm like, Mike, you might need to hide these from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, so no, you can't, let them, you, can't, you can't put that on Mike. You can't I know, I know. No, no accountability. <laughs> Seriously. Oh Dang gosh. it, I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, but those those are really good. I could eat a lot of those. I, I put I it on. It. I put it on everybody else too. Don't, yeah. don't worry, about it. you're not the only one. I'm like, not don't buy one. that for me. I will eat the whole yeah. bag. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Makeda, thank you so much for having this conversation with us, for sharing your experiences with you, Ken. And uh, again, best of luck as you pursue this big race in New York City. Thank you. Thanks, McKenna.